are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I know it's a little bit odd to start a sermon this way, but uh, I haven't preached for a couple of weeks, so I'm rusty. Give me a break, okay? But I want to start by asking you, do you know who the founder of Taco Bell is? Anybody know who the founder of Taco Bell is? It was interesting to me uh, to find that the founder of Taco Bell is a guy whose name is Glenn Bell. Yeah, I kind of reacted the same way. I wasn't expecting that. So I do know that it's common for founders of restaurants to name the restaurant after themselves, like P.F. Chang or Bob Evans. But I didn't know that Taco Bell was one of those restaurants. I, I just wasn't expecting it, that's all. And so when a friend told me, I kind of laughed out loud. I said, you're serious. Glenn Bell is the founder of... Yeah, Glenn Bell. He's the guy who in California had a hamburger stand. And one day he decided to add something new to his menu. And he added tacos. This is back years and years ago. And the tacos caught on so well that he opened a separate restaurant, a taco stand called Taco Tia. And after a while he said, I think I should just name the restaurant after myself. And so he named it Taco Bell. So I guess if his name had been Glenn Smith, it would be Taco Smith. It's just that I wasn't expecting it. I've got a feeling that might be the way that some people responded to Jesus when he made certain statements. So can you imagine being in the crowd or being next to Jesus the first time he ever said something like this? The first shall be last. And the last, well, they're going to be first. And I would be like, no, I'm pretty sure that the first are first and the last are last. And Jesus says, no. It's like he turns it upside down and he says, no, if you want to be first, I think you should go to the back of the line. And so the university next door to us, Southern Nazarene University, challenges their students to live last. Why don't you put everybody else in front of yourself and just learn to live last? Let everybody else go first. One day Jesus says something else. He says, you know, the greatest among you. So who do you think in the room today is the greatest among us? Who do you think? I mean, just think about it. So all the people in the room today, there's got to be somebody that's greater than everybody else, right? Jesus said, it's the servant. It's the one with the lowliest job. No, I mean, I think like the greatest is the greatest. Like the most successful, Jesus says, no, 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 it's, it's the one who serves. It's like Jesus turns it upside down. It's like the world that Jesus saw was an upside down kind of world. Do you remember the time Jesus says, if you want to save your life, that's me, I want to save my life. Jesus says, then lose it. I know. If I want to save my life, I think I should save it, right? Jesus kind of turns it upside down and says, no, it's the person who lays their life down, who just surrenders their life to God. That's the person who saves it. And Jesus says, you want to know who's really blessed in this world? It's the person who gives. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Well, I know a family that received a few million dollars a few years ago, and I think they considered themselves pretty well blessed. 
And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. It's way more blessed for them to give than to receive. It's like Jesus kind of turns everything upside down. So I live in a world today, and um, the narrative goes something like this. Um, You're blessed. You're you're doing well. Um, When your life is good, and when you don't have a problem or a care in the world, and when you've kind of figured out life, and um, when, when money gets better and better and better and better and better, you know? In fact, I think I live in a lot of conversations where... I even participate in some of those conversations that seems to um, equate blessing with financial gain. So you got you got the new house, did you? Yeah, I saw I saw what you're driving. That's that's a great ride, man. You guys are just doing really well these days. I'm 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 proud of you guys. It, well, the Lord's just really blessed us, Pastor Rick. But Jesus kind of turned it upside down, and you know what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. In fact, he goes on to say, woe to those of you who are rich. If you're rich, you better be careful. There's a lot of danger in wealth. And he says things like, blessed when you come to the end of the rope. Or you're blessed when you get persecuted because of me. It, it, it feels really upside down to me. A lot of things that Jesus said, you're like, are, do you mean to say that? And so here's where I've been living these last several weeks in this conversation that's been going on in my head about my life as I've studied the Beatitudes, which I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few weeks. I've been asking myself, when people look at me, when people hang out with me, when people spend time with me, when people, you know, have a meal with me, especially people who aren't like followers of Jesus, when people who aren't followers of Jesus hang out with me, do I look kind of upside down? Back to the Glenn Bell story, do they walk away saying, I just didn't expect that? Rick thinks in a different way. Rick lives his life in a different way. Rick does things like everybody else doesn't do them. Rick looks a little bit upside down to me. I just wasn't expecting that somebody would actually live the way he's living. And so here's what we want to just hang out and talk about for a little while. And this is the conversation that we're in in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus came proclaiming. The kingdom of God, which is an upside down kind of world. It's like there's a new era. God's doing something new through Jesus. Jesus came saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And it doesn't look like the world that you've lived in all of these years. It's a new era. It's God's new covenant with his people. Through Jesus, God is doing something brand new. And in the kingdom of God, the world looks very different. It looks a little upside down. So, I want to take you there to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to spend a few weeks together there. Beginning with verse 1. Matthew 5 verse 1. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the five discourses 
in the book of Matthew, and Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. We'll talk about them a little bit in a moment. Probably ought to talk to you about who Jesus is talking to. In Matthew, he's talking to his disciples. However, we find the Beatitudes again in the Gospel of Luke, and he's talking to the crowds. I'm going to read them in a moment, and I think we'll find that Jesus is talking to you, and he's talking to me today. In Matthew, it's on a mountainside, and a few years ago I was in Israel. I'm riding a little uh, combi, and the guy stops the combi, and he points to a mountainside, and he says, just up from the Sea of Galilee, he says, that's where some believe the Sermon of the Beatitudes might have taken place, the Sermon on the Mount. I remember sitting there, looking out the window, grabbed my phone, shot a picture, thinking... It's kind of wild that that might have been the place where Jesus stood and first said the words, blessed are the poor in spirit, with a crowd of people around him and his disciples. When Luke tells the story, he says, no, he was actually on a level place, and the order is different in Luke, and the form is different, and Luke is way more direct than what Jesus says in Matthew. And I think what it tells us is that this is probably a sermon Jesus preached from place to place to place to place. Many villages he preached this same message. And that's why when Matthew recalls it, it sounds different than when Luke recalls it. And so here we go. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. I've chosen to read it to you from the version, the message. And the reason is because some of us hang around the church a lot and we get phrases in our heads And sometimes familiarity loses meaning. And so I was hoping I would read them to you today and it would sound like the first time you've ever heard them. Okay? So when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, and there were huge crowds, thousands of people at once, he climbed a hillside. It might have been that same hillside I saw in Israel. And those who were apprenticed to him, his disciples, the committed, climbed with him. And arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and he taught his climbing companions. I love Eugene's translation of that verse. And this is what he said to them. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Again, we kind of get into that upside down kind of thinking. Uh, If a person has come to the end of the rope, I don't know that I'm thinking you're blessed. I think you're in a tough place, right? Jesus says, no, 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 you're in a good place. You're blessed when you've come to the end of the rope. Because with less of you, there is more of God in his rule. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those with a humble spirit. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Blessed are those who mourn. Only then can you embrace the one who is most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you finally find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worshipped, rather worked up a good appetite for God. I love it. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care, when you're merciful. At that moment of being careful, you'll find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. The pure in heart. Then you can see God in the outside world. 
You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Peacemakers. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. It's upside down again. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a chair even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. God's word for God's people. Amen. You know, when I was gone over the last couple of weeks, I spent some time in Africa In a small country in southern Africa called Eswatini, our church has been involved in a partnership there for maybe 15 years now. There's a couple who have been a part of our church for 50 years. Their names are Doug and Margaret Eaton. And they are living in Africa for us right now, serving as on-site coordinators. It's amazing to me what God has done through Doug and Margaret In that little country, in the Church of the Nazarene, that we've been trying to support and come alongside to help empower. They're amazing people. And so five years ago, when they were going there, God put a vision in the heart of our world mission director, Dr. Barbie Moore, to help young women in that country who have been sexually abused in their home. He cemented that vision in Doug and Margaret's heart as well. I remember the first time Doug said to me years ago, these young girls may know Jesus, they may have hope, but they don't have a haven. They have nowhere to go. And so God began to work in great ways to use Doug and his abilities and talents and his drive. And through the generosity of many, many of you, they oversaw the building of a home. This is the, the, the back of that building. It's called Haven of Hope. It's, it's a dormitory type situation with a common area for gathering and a common area for meals. And, uh, and it has 24 beds, 24 rooms for young girls to be in, in that, in that building. And so when we opened up, we hired a person to direct it. We hired a uh, matron to live all the time with the girls. We hired uh, some people to work with our social services folks in the country. And uh, we've had many girls uh, to live here. And I can't show you their faces. I'm not permitted to do that. Um, Many of them are still in great danger. But uh, currently there are 28 girls living in this 24-bed facility. And they're finding hope. I'm going to show you one other picture, but you should brace yourself. It's the youngest of the victims. And this is her in Doug's arms. At the age of four years old, she has experienced great trauma and abuse in her life. But today she's here. And she's safely in the arms of people who will love her and protect her and care for her and watch over her. We got out of the combis and we toured the facility 
we begin to meet the girls, 28 of them there the day that I was there. And uh, they had a little makeshift tent that they had figured out on their own with a tarp so we could have shade from the sun. And even though there it's winter and the high was like 72 degrees um, and the low at night is around 50 degrees, um, they wanted us to be sheltered from the sun. And so they kind of created this little shelter for us. We sat under the shelter, and with the help of a lady from our church, Melissa Dockham, they did an interpretive dance. And they did a dance to a song by a girl named Lauren Daigle called Rescue. I'll never listen to the song and hear it the same again. Because the words of the song say this. And as I watched these young girls who have been rescued from their homes where they were experiencing sexual abuse... They danced interpretively to the words, you are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. Though you have been broken, your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. And then the song says, I will send out an army to find you. In the middle of the darkest night, it is true. I will rescue you. And these girls talk to me individually about being rescued. And so in the country when social services is made aware that a girl needs to come out of their home, they call Haven of Hope and they say, can we get her into your facility? She needs a haven, a place to stay. There was a young girl, I would guess maybe she was 17 years old. She's quite an artist. She loves to sketch. She loves to paint. She loves to write. And, and she read a poem to us that she had written. A few lines from the poem are, You are a group of angels sent to us by God. You are a divine work of art signed by God. And because God sent you to us, while we once were caterpillars, we are now butterflies. And so I walked up to her, and I can't even tell your name. But I said to her, uh, with a traditional handshake that goes like this, you would never reach one hand out. That would be completely inappropriate in that country. It's always two hands. And she reaches toward me with her two hands, and we shake hands. You remember And I said, my name is Rick, and she told me her name, and I said, I loved your poem. And she said, I wrote it because I knew people from the church were coming that has made all of this possible for us. And I wanted to somehow say thank you. I said, you you went over and beyond. And then she reaches in her pocket, and she pulls out the poem written on this notebook paper. And she hands it to me with both hands and says, would you receive it? And I said, you give it to me? And she said, yes, I want you to have it. And so I reached out my hands and I received it. And I stuffed it in my pocket and off to another site we had to visit. And I've read the poem many times. I, I I don't have a better picture for you of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came and said, it's at hand, God's doing something new. It's an upside down kind of world where the poor in spirit are blessed. 
It's a new era. It's something fresh. God is bringing about newness. He's raising people to life. People who are mourning, who are truly hurting, who are suffering. God is blessing them. God's rescuing people. And so, I know we struggle with words because when you think about Jesus, He speaks what? In Aramaic? And then um, it gets written down in the ancient Greek language that is a dead language now. Nobody really speaks that language. And then we translate it into English and we try to find the right words and we struggle. And so we've kind of landed on blessed. Some people have said it's happy. Happy is the person who is poor in spirit. The, the problem is we've abused the word happy and we've kind of made it a feeling. It's like, I feel happy today. But if my circumstances change, I might not feel happy. And so it doesn't really work. It's more of like this gift, something that God has given you, something God has done for you. It's like you are a blessed person by God. And so I give you the words in both Eugene Peterson's message and then in the NIV, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. When you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do, you don't have any answers. He says, you're... I know it's upside down, but you're in a good place. Or blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble in spirit. And, 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 and the real idea is hard to communicate. And so sometimes you just need a good story, right? And so that's what Jesus does. He says, well, let me tell you a good story. I'll make it really simple for you. One day, these two guys, they go to the temple to pray. One is a very religious man, viewed as very religious by his community. He's a Pharisee. There's another guy, and he's a tax collector. He's not viewed religious at all. We always mention him with the sinners, tax collectors and sinners, right? And when the Pharisee gets to the temple and prays, he says, Oh, God, I just thank you that I'm not like a bunch of other people I know. Evildoers, adulterers, so on and so forth. Even like that tax collector standing over there. Glad I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I have. But then the tax collector can't even raise his eyes. He can't even lift his face. He's ashamed. And he beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that guy will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the exalted will be humbled. And the humbled will be exalted. So the opposite of poor in spirit would be like an arrogant spirit or a haughty spirit. A person who says, I can figure it out. I can do it. I can do this on my own. I don't really need the help. A person who is poor in spirit would say, I need God desperately. I'll never be enough. I'll never do enough. I can't save myself. I can't ever be what I'm supposed to be without God. I am in desperate, desperate need of God. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of me. I can't do anything without God. Just like Jesus said those same words. The Son of Man can do nothing on His own. And then it's, then it's those who mourn. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Blessed are those who mourn. And it's not just about mourning for like things we've lost or someone we've lost, which let me tell you today, God is here for you and He will comfort you if that's where you are. But I think it's also in this context of a mourning for our own sin. Mourning, mourning because of who I've become. Mourning 
for falling so short of what God wants for me. And so let me take you to a good place. I feel like I've taken you to a low place. Um, the other day I was talking to somebody and it was a few weeks ago. I don't remember who, if it was you after the service, would you tell me it was me? But they said to me, do you remember a story that you told when you first came here like 10 years ago? And they started remembering the story to me. And I said, I do remember the story, but I don't think I've thought about it since then. It was a story about a guy who gets on a plane one day. And already sitting on the plane in the seat next to him against the window is a teenage girl. And he's in the middle seat. The teenage girl has Down syndrome. He says hi to her. She's very polite. Says hi to him. After a few moments, she says to him, did you brush your teeth this morning? And he says, "Uh, yeah, I did brush my teeth this morning. She said, you should brush your teeth every morning. He said, I agree. A few seconds passed and she said, do you smoke? He says, no, I don't smoke. She said, that's good because smoking could be hazardous to your health. And he said, that's what I've heard. And a few more seconds pass, and she says, do you know about Jesus? And he says, you know what? I do. I know about Jesus. And I love Jesus. He says, the plane's still boarding. Finally, another person comes and sits down in the seat beside me. So it's the girl by the window. It's me, and it's this person sitting beside me, this guy. And once he gets seated, seatbelt fastened, the little girl says to me with a nudge of the elbow, ask him if he brushed his teeth this morning. (laughs) He says, I don't want to ask him that. And she says, ask him if he brushed his teeth. The guy finally turns to the guy and says, this is so-and-so. I just met her, but she wants me to ask if you brushed your teeth this morning. And the guy leans over and he says to the girl, the teenage girl, I did, I brushed my teeth this morning. She said, you should brush your teeth every morning. And he says, a few seconds passed and she elbows me again and says, ask him if he smokes. He said, I didn't want to, but I did. I said, she has another question. She wants to know if you smoke. And he says, no, I don't smoke. And the little girl says, smoking could be hazardous to your health. He said, I've heard that. He says, by this time, we're wheels up and in the air. And the little girl nudges me. And it wasn't until that moment that it occurred to me what I was going to have to ask him next. And my heart started beating fast. Ask him if he knows about Jesus. He said, I finally turned to the little girl. I looked her straight in the eye and I said, that is far too personal. I'm not comfortable with that. She said, ask him if he knows Jesus. And so he says, she has a third question. She wants to know if you know about Jesus. And he said, I don't know much about Jesus. No. And he says, for the next 45 minutes... I tried to tell that man everything that I knew about Jesus.
When you get to Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says something that is earth-shaking, groundbreaking, life-changing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a whole new era. God's doing something fresh and new, and God's doing it through me. And as he proclaims this good news that this little girl is sharing with everybody on the plane, he then begins to teach about the kingdom of heaven. And then after he teaches about the kingdom of heaven, here's what happens in Matthew chapter 4. Right before we get to chapter 5, Jesus begins to demonstrate the power of the kingdom of heaven by healing every kind of sickness and disease around. And Jesus says to everybody, I've been talking about the kingdom. I've been teaching about the kingdom. Now here you go. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's good news for people who have come to the end of their rope, for people who have lost something dear to them. I'm doing a new thing. And when you get to chapter 5 and you begin to flip through the Beatitudes, they begin to define for us what the kingdom of God looks like. And so, here's this Really good news, okay? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule. It's not until I come to the place that I say, I don't know what to do. I don't have any answers. I don't know how to fix what's broken in me. Then you're open to God's rule for your life. And you say, God, can you take my life and do something with it? And blessed are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. It's when I come to the end of myself and I'm hurting that I say, God, I need help. So let me, let me finish, okay? I'll just take a couple of minutes here and, and, and be done. So you've come to church on a summer Sunday morning at the end of July and many of you come from a lot going on in your life and there's a few people sitting in front of me that says some days I feel like I'm at the end of myself I know what it means to be at the end of your rope I've got a situation in front of me I've got something going on in my life And I don't know what the next step is. I don't have an answer. I can't fix what's broken. I'm at the end of my rope. Rick, I'm I'm in a bad place. And Jesus says, you might be in a good place. (laughs) Because this may be the first time in a long time. That you're really opening your heart to me. And it may be the first time in a long time that you're saying, God, what do you really want to do in me? And through me? And with me? Maybe you're really opening yourself up to my rule in your life. Or what if you come in the room today and you're mourning the loss of something in your life or someone in your life? Or maybe it's even something in your relationship with God. You're saying, I'm mourning the loss of 
closeness to God. Or I've lost innocence in my life. I've done something that I should have never done. I'm in a bad place. And maybe Jesus is saying, well, let's just turn that upside down. Maybe you're in a good place. Maybe your heart is open for me just to come in and love on you and care for you and comfort you. We're going we're gonna to sing a song in a moment. And the song is really about you and me coming to the end of ourselves. And admitting to God and myself, I'm not enough. I desperately need God. But here's the good news. And here's what we'll celebrate in the words of the song. It's in that moment that I realize that God is enough. In fact, He's all I need. Why don't you stand with me? And let's sing. And, and you know, probably, I don't think I have to say it, but I want to say it. It's always appropriate to come forward and pray if you want to pray. I'm always glad to have you come. In fact, you're welcome. In fact, you're encouraged to come and just say, God, can I talk to you? Let's worship together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.